you're going to hear at the end of this that he was the most important guy in the trip. I'm 100% sure he's an angel, okay? Because it goes on. Guys, welcome back to the Ordinary Discussions podcast. I'm your co-host, Aaron, and I'm very excited to announce our guest today, John Scott. John is the founder of Cedrus, a family office and wealth advisory firm helping clients integrate their financial purposes, goals, and gifts in an effort to ultimately reach contentment with all aspects of their lives. It sounds incredible. He has experience with speaking to executives with uh, leadership, Lifetime Wealth Principles, uh, a company that, that has conducted over 300 seminars a year for Fortune 500 companies. If that's not enough, he's served as a chairman on multiple businesses and ministry boards. We're so excited to have him with us. He's also had a chance to hike the Colorado Trail. And just a quick teaser for you. This is 486 miles from Denver to Durango through eight different mountain ranges, including the Rockies. I can't even wrap my mind around that. So we're very excited to hear more about this and, and what uh, makes John, John. But before we get to that, just want to remind you to like, follow, share, subscribe, rate this podcast that helps us get this message out to other people and bless other people on their journey of discipleship. Thank you for being with us. And without further ado, I have to turn it over to our host, Jeremy McCommons. You have to. You have to turn it over to me. Have There's to. no option. I I have to. It's programmed in. Turn it over. It. All right. Well, let's do this. John Scott, how are you, sir? I'm good, Jeremy. Thank you for having me. You see the shirt I wore today? It's Sasquatch with a Colorado hat. Uh-huh. And I figured it was appropriate for our Colorado, tra- our Colorado Trail discussion. That's what I looked like out there. That's a perfect depiction. Is that right? Yeah. That was it? <laughs> well, guys, you're in for a treat, as Aaron said. Uh, John is a very special man. He's extremely passionate about the Lord. Uh, you can see, I don't know if you can see, but he's got notes everywhere, journals. Um, he he is a wealth of wisdom, not only in finances and in life, but also uh, in encountering Jesus. And uh, he's also a wealth of knowledge with the Word of God. But I respect the heck out of the fact that he likes and pursues intimacy and encounter with the Lord, which is our core value at Ordinary Movement as we want people to encounter the Lord. So we've got some awesome discussions. We're going to start talking about this uh, Colorado Trail. Um, uh, and then, you know, we'll have a lot of questions about that. And then we're going to get into uh, some uh, silent retreat conversation. And then you also had a bout with cancer mm-hmm. that you beat. And I would lo- we're going to definitely talk about that. And I think your Colorado Trail experience really ties in well with, with that, correct? For sure. I wouldn't have made it without it. That's right. Well, tell us first, I mean, what, what makes you tick? Tell us a little bit about John Scott and, and what you do and mm-hmm. and uh, why somebody should should listen to what you have to say. <laughs> well, nobody has to listen to anything I say, but um, I love to share my testimony with, um, with men in particular, um, but the ladies too. But I grew up in the East Coast in the Fairfield County area. I was a college football player. Um, that eventually led me to Colorado School of Mines in Colorado back in January 1980, and more or less have uh, lived here since then. I started my career in the property management business. I studied petroleum engineering, but anybody that knows that business in the early 80s, it crashed as I uh, as I um, got out of school. And then I networked my way um, um, into the wealth management business at Merrill Lynch, 
um, back in 1986. So I've been doing it a little bit uh, for quite some time. It didn't take long for me to start kicking the walls out at Merrill Lynch. I, uh, <laughs> I don't like big companies. I still don't. Um, um, deep inside, I'm an entrepreneur, and I look for things that aren't right. And I try not to uh, complain about them or bitch about them, but I'm more a solutions guy to try to figure out bigger, better ways to do things. So that's what eventually led to me starting Lifetime Wealth Principles um, that you were mentioning earlier. Um, it was a seminar company and started it from scratch, and we became pretty much the what I call the Intel chip for people in career transition back in those days. Oh. Then um, I had a mentor. Um, and I'm sure for those of you on this podcast that are business owners, you know how important mentors are. Um, my mentor was Joe Kors. Yes, it is from the Beer family. Um, he took me under his wing when I was president, the youngest president we ever had at our country club in Golden. He was president before me, and he saw something in me. We played in tournaments together, but he encouraged me to start my own business, and that was the seminar company. Um, and I sold that company, and... Uh, um, you know, basically December, end of the year in 2007. Okay. And <clears throat> so to the Colorado Trail, if you're ready to go there now, yeah. the um, the um, purpose of that trip was kind of twofold. Two years before that, um, Joe Coors and a very, very well-known sports um, coach, psychologist coach named David Cook that wrote the book uh, Golf Sac Sacred Journey, Seven Days in Utopia, uh, came around me in 2005, 2006, and, um, and led me to Jesus Christ being my Lord and Savior. David, you've known David that long? Yes. See, I, I, I yeah. so happen to know David, too. He lived in the Valley for a while. Yeah. That's, we, we've now, David and I go group. way back. So, I did not know that. Uh, as a matter of fact, Joe Coors uh, took me down to Texas to David's first men's group with the book before he'd even published the book. Um, wow. With several pros wow. and several CEOs. Who, of who's that, and, Jeremy? David Cook. So he wrote he wrote the book Seven Days in Utopia. There's a book. Uh, there, there's a movie okay. on it. Um, who, who's the main character in that? Uh, uh, well, Robert Duvall. Robert Duvall. Yeah. Yeah. And so I've heard you talk about this before. And Jason Glover, who who's playing really played really well at the Barbasol this week, and yeah. KJ Choi was in the movie. But it's a great movie. All of you should see it if you haven't. You can bring it up on Netflix. But it's cool. Yeah, so David was in this. Uh, he he since moved back to Texas, but he was in this. Uh, we call, I call it the OGOC group. We've been talking about ordinary community groups, uh, mm -hmm. which we we is emulated after this group that we're in, mm -hmm. which is we just ask each other, "How's your heart?" Which is a very deep question for a room full of men, and it gets to the core quick. So if you don't have an OC group, check it out on our website. Start an OC group. Super easy to start and 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 awesome. Uh, but David Cook was in this group author. Uh, he also wrote a book recently, um, Great, Greater. Greatness. Greatness. Yep. Greatness. Um, and uh, so anyhow, he led John to the Lord. I didn't know that until now. I've been in a group with him for, for well, a he, while. He was there when, when um, for me, we'll talk about this today, um, when I'm communicating with God, which basically means the Holy Spirit's coming over me, I cry. Okay? Yeah, me too. It's so, to the world. Yeah, <laughs> so, it's so overwhelming. So <laughs> prior to that, um, despite being brought up in the church, but I had no personal relationship with Jesus, um, I was taught as, you know, a stud, 
football player and a leader of organizations and always captain my teams to never let anybody see the emotional side of you. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, fear and crying, that's for the other guys, right? Yeah. Okay. And, uh, but what happened when I was at David Cook's event in, uh, in Texas, I had one of those deals where we were breaking it down one night with scripture and came over me. I made a snot pile like this <laughs> and everything. I just sat there and cried uncontrollably and, and, you know, that's that's first time the Holy Spirit came over me. And <clears throat> I really didn't do business with Jesus till about three, four months after that because I had to process what happened to me. And then I drove in the hills near Boulder, Colorado one day. And, um, you know, I said, man, you better be real, God, because I'm pushing all the chips in right here, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> and that's exactly what it did. And, um, and I'm, not, I'm not cutting corners ever since that day. So that was yeah, a little, little over 15 years ago. Yeah. So, we back saying. to the trail, um, when I was young, um, I used to, uh, before two days for football in August, I'd go up to the White Mountains in New Hampshire, I'd throw about a 50, 60-pound pack on, and I'd cruise around the hills just to beat the heck out of myself and get myself football tough. Mm. So you know how that is, getting ready for two days. And I they see, don't do two days anymore, by the yeah, way. three well, days. We even. did three a days when yeah. I was in high school, <laughs> two days in college. Right. And now they do like one practice. It's, yeah, it's not the it's same. It's not the same. Yeah. Like, Those kids aren't tough like us. No, they're not tough at all. <laughs> they play ball, but too many rights. That's right. We didn't have any rights back We then. had no rights. We were lucky if we got a water break. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, the uh, – um, the, what had happened when I was up in the White Mountains in New Hampshire is I'd see these dudes coming through doing the Appalachian Trail that started down in Georgia, yeah. and they're working their way up the Maine, which is 2,500 miles as opposed to Colorado Trail, which is 500. And when I told my wife, and we'd been married for uh, 36 years, when I was dating her, I said, look, I'm going to be a millionaire someday by the time I'm 40 if you want to come along for the ride. It'll be <laughs> interesting. But I'm just telling you right now, as soon as I turn 50... Um, you know, I'm cashing out and I'm going to do this Appalachian Trail thing, okay? So there I was. Um, I was 47, 40, 47 when I sold my business. Made a little bit of money from Lifetime Wealth Principles. I was doing great financially. And I figured, you know, maybe I ought to go do this Colorado Trail for 500 miles before I buy off the big 2,500 miles, okay? <laughs> um, so that's what that was the genesis. That's what I did. But a year or two prior to that, two years prior, I you know found Jesus. So the trip took on a, another purpose. Number one, it's important for everybody to understand this podcast. So I, I did that trip alone. I didn't do it with anybody else, okay? And that's a very important distinction. And what I did was called solo through hiking of the Colorado Trail, which means, you know, you go right through. I did take a day off in between the resupply with my wife and get a meal and, and head on through. But basically, I did the thing from start to stop where most people do it in 50 segments on weekends over a lifetime. Oh, really? Or something like that, yeah. Oh, okay. Okay, and I averaged about 25 to 28 miles a day. Um, when I headed out, um, I planned for this trip uh, a year before I went. Uh, to get the lightest stuff I could from my backpack and everything. Um, but the trip also for me was a spiritual trip because I just, mm-hmm. you know, started, I just found Jesus. Um, like everybody, I wanted to know if this guy is who he says he is yeah, and is yeah. going to do what he says he's going to do. <laughs> and having this time alone out there seemed like the perfect place for me to really press into that 
and fulfill, I guess, a lifetime dream of doing a solo through hike. Wow. And that was what year? Summer of 2008. Okay. So, so at the same time that you found the Lord, you were planning the trip or you already had the, the trip planned and, and you, and you met Jesus before you, you, you actually went. I met Jesus before I went and about two years before I went and I started planning the trip about a year before I went. So Jesus okay. planned the trip. And, yeah. So, so yeah. So, so you had, you had both of those things in mind then. Yeah. And most uh, people go about 15 miles a day. They go in a group. Um, older people may only go 10 or 12 miles a day. That maybe sounds more normal to you guys for a good hard day hike up and down <laughs> mountains. Um, but the, uh, what's he mean by that, Aaron? I don't, <laughs> I don't know what he means by that. <laughs> I don't know. And again, you're stringing these days together. You know, yeah. it's not like I just go do a segment or two every weekend. So, um, so I was John Scott. I was very arrogant. I thought I was, you know, tougher than all you guys so i said oh, i'm gonna do 16 18 miles a day but i'll tell you how that all changed once we start into the trip here so yeah so mm -hmm. i got a lot of questions just about the trip mm -hmm. yeah that may help somebody preparing for the trip right mm -hmm. yeah what do you got to bring um, but then there's a lot of spiritual components in this too so we'll weave mm -hmm. all the stories in but so you did it in how many days i know you said 20 some so that would be 21 one. days yeah. 21 days yeah and so you said um, you would you would meet your wife or go into town occasionally and get restocked. Yeah. What does that look like? So what I did because I'm an engineer and you know this and that and the other thing, I had a little bit of money so I could afford good equipment. And if anybody understands going to an REI store or something, the you know the really light stuff costs more, right? Yeah. <laughs> ounces ounces cost right. hundreds. Yes, yes. <laughs> okay. And then I read in Backpacker magazine about these through hiker guys that you know, um, do 30 miles a day. Okay. But I was like, I don't think I can do that. But anyway, I bought a pack from a, uh, a guy in Utah that doesn't sell in stores. I'd found out about him from through hikers, um, and put my pack together of everything that I was a hundred percent sure I was going to need in this trip or I'd die without. And, uh, <laughs> and that took me about a year to build that pack and then fully loaded with food and water for the day. Um, that weighed about 40 pounds. And what I'd done is I'd studied each segment of the trail. I was already kind of mountain um, savvy. I told you what I was doing in the White Mountains in yeah. New Hampshire. Mm -hmm. um, for those of you that are climbers or big-time trail guys, I'd also uh, I climbed Mount Aconcagua in Argentina, which is the highest mountain in the world. It's not in the Himalayas, you know. So I have experience of high-altitude climbing and mm -hmm sleeping in the snow and all those kinds of things. Um, that's heavy equipment, that stuff. Okay? Yeah, yeah. But yeah, and so I had planned out um, where my 18 miles was going to be every day. I, I planned to camp at places where there would be water because that's what mm -hmm. seemed like the most important that's thing right. to me mm -hmm. is to have water. Mm -hmm. Just You guys would probably do the same thing. And then I had organized all my food and put it in a big box. Um, this is a part of the story, but... A good friend of mine up here bought me a little device that's orange called a spot. Yeah, Some of you may I use an those. in reach. Garmin okay. In reach, yeah. yeah, and so basically it's like a black box on an airplane. It doesn't really communicate per se, um, but it, it kicks off um, breadcrumbs to Google Maps every 15, 20 yeah. minutes or so. Yeah. So I had about two, 300 people following me, all my family and friends and clients from my business. Mm. Um, 
and uh, and it had a button on it that if you you know fell and broke your head and the <laughs> bears coming up to chew on your innards, you could hit the button and have them send in the uh, oh the gosh. helicopter and whatnot, right? Yeah. Um, so I covered that, but anyway, I, I head out um, with this forty pound pack, and I made um, I bought all the maps and broke them into pieces and carrying them. Uh, my wife gave me a journal here, so that's what this that's is. That's the actual journal? That's the actual journel. Yeah, it I, held up well. I had never journaled before in my life, and it's plastic, you can see, so yeah. it's good for the rain and whatnot. So this is my first time journaling. And, wow. And my wife was able to calibrate, I, I taught her how to calibrate the breadcrumbs of when I'd get to a road to take out, even though I told her about where that was going to be. So the first one, this starts in Waterton Canyon in Denver, and my first takeout was at Kenosha Pass up there, which is, you know, past Bailey before you drop down into Jefferson and okay. all that on 285 there. Okay. Um, and then we had a takeout, um, where the heck, in, in Buena Vista area, um, and then Lake City, where I saw her again for food. But so basically I had to carry all the food for those days, so forth and so on, and off I went. So, so how many days wow. of food would you have? Um, you know, about four or five. Okay. Mm -hmm. And what, I'm just curious of this, uh, I actually backpack, and I and I backpack hunt as well, but I never go, I mean, I'm like three days in or something like that. So, mm -hmm. But I'm all about lightweight and, but so what do you, wh how was your water filtration? What do you use for water filtration? Um, I didn't filter. Okay. So I, um, I carried a, a pin. I carried two water uh, containers. One was a <laughs> Aquafina water bottle with the big one inch mouth on top. Okay. okay? Yep. And you're going to hear about me hooking up with the guy the first day. Oh, yeah, yeah. And he yeah. said, that's why he befriended me. Cause he saw that I have one of those instead of an algae bottle that weighs about three times the amount of the Aquafina yeah. water yeah. bottle. But the hole has to be big on the front and then i carried this msr thing called a dromedary basically a soft um um fabric kind of thing that you can fill up with about a gallon and a half to two gallons of water okay. and carry that if you need to carry something in between two water sources and whatnot and how did you how did you uh disinfect i disinfect with these little uh pills so. oh you use the tablets yeah they're little chlorine tablets yeah. okay and then i also used um camelback um, those those tablets that have all the um, electrolytes in yeah. it. Mm -hmm. So every time I filled up my Nalgene or my dromedary, I put in the uh, both of those tablets and let it all get juiced up and get together. So it's good to go with that. Yeah. Well, the reason that's on my mind, I guess, is I my family and I went backpacking. That's why I wasn't there Friday. Okay. We we left Friday. We only went a night, but we mm -hmm. try to go with the kids. It's a great great time to get away in the wilderness with the kids, have their attention for once. But I bought a new a new gravity filter system, you know, a dirty bag, clean bag, filter in between. But I didn't test it ahead of time. <laughs> we got up there. I don't and think like two hours work. later, I had like half an ounce of water for all of us. And so my family's looking at me like, what is wrong with yeah, you? Yeah, those things don't work. Um, yeah, it was, I had them up on Aconcagua and we even had a crank. And, yeah. and the filters just get stuck all the time. And when you're out there trying to travel light and you yeah. don't have... Um, you don't really stop when you're out there, to be honest with you. So the filtration thing is just simpler to just disinfect it and get your electrolytes in it and slam it down mm. and go. What about food? What kind of what kind of food were you were you having on this trip? I had I like had packed uh, Mountain House freeze dried, okay, and I bought the bigger packs that you know maybe had four servings in it or yeah. something. Mm -hmm. But I broke those big packs down to. 
Um, actually, I'd bring one of the big four things, and then I'd break it down to force using baggies. Yeah. But I liked having those metal um, foil things from the uh, mountain house because that's where I kept all my trash in from all my various things, including my wounds. I did, and my feet were in pretty rough shape and stuff like that. So till I got to a garbage can, I could make sure I left no trace behind. Yeah. Wow. So it starts off, I mean, you told me this before. I mean, it kind of starts off, you have this plan, yeah. and then the plan gets thrown out the window quick, right? Well, a couple of things. First of all, um, part of the theme of our discussion today is going to be about spending time with Christ, okay, or the Holy Spirit and kingdom. You guys are kingdom guys, and you understand that there's two opposing principalities. Sure so yep. um, people always ask me all that all the time, what was the hardest part about doing the Colorado Trail? And that answer is crystal clear, simple to me. And that was taking the first step. Really? Because there were a hundred excuses not to do the trip. Oh, I bet. Leading up to it. And I can't encourage that thought to everybody listening to this podcast enough, because as we talk about silent retreats and stuff like that, Satan will do anything in his power to make sure that you don't go into any situation where you can get alone with God or you're going to experience breakthrough. He'll, he'll throw up roadblocks all over the place. Mm -hmm. And so that was the hardest part, first of all. Then we're, we, the day comes, and I was looking at my journal, but it, it was July 23rd, 2008, so approximately the time we are here today. Wow. Um, and the reason for that is, is you can't th get through the trail before then. All Too the much snow. The snow has yeah. to melt, you know, especially like up at 10 Mile above Breck and all oh, that, yeah. yeah, which yeah. is relatively early into the trip. Well, yeah, I mean, just last, when I hiked, in this, we went to Missouri Lakes area, mm -hmm. and yeah. the passes were still snow covers. You right. crampons. Otherwise, you're post holing up there yeah. in the snow. And I had mm -hmm. a little bit of that, but that's no way to try to go 25 no, miles it's a not. day. <laughs> uh, so, anyway, the uh, um, first of all, my Bible study group somewhat surprised me. And at 6:30 a.m., they met me there in Waterton Canyon in Littleton, and that was kind of emotional and. We were reading scripture, and they were praying over me, and all of a sudden somebody tapped on my back, and I turned around, it's David Cook. No way. <laughs> David oh, my gosh, I didn't know this. <laughs> and he wasn't part of my Bible study group, but he had heard through the grapevine that I was going to do this thing, and God bless him, he just showed up and gave me a hug, and my wife, Lori, was there. She was the only female, and David said, oh, man, I love you. You're going to have a great trip. He goes, I... I put a book in your backpack when you weren't looking. I go, David, damn it. You know, That's I was, extra weight. I was cutting my you know, toothbrush in half last night and stuff, and you're sticking books in my pack. He goes, no, 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 it's a little book. You'll love it, okay? So that's important because that's going to come up here pretty quick. Um, but he prayed over me with everybody and lots of tears. And um, and my wife walked to me for the first mile or two. And if you've been to Water King Canyon before, it's just a straight dirt road there heading up. And so easy for her and then she cried a little bit and gave me a hug and then off i went so just take off walking yeah so like i said that was the hardest part right there so the first two miles like what's going through your head guilt guilt yeah tell guilt. me about that um well the first time i experienced that was when i did aconcagua um because if you don't know that's twenty two thousand eight hundred feet and you're up there doing things alpine style and you have no communications and um, you know, my wife and my friends are on the internet looking and seeing that people are, you know, being carried down helicopters <laughs> on their mules and three people died that week and they don't know where I'm at. Okay. Yeah. And so mm -hmm. when I got back from the trip and I, I never experienced anything, you know, life threatening per se up there. Um, 
you know, at least in terms of a disaster, your body gets pretty waxed pretty hard at that altitude. But the uh, when I got back, um, I went out to dinner in Boulder with my wife, my father-in-law, mother-in-law, and my wife's uh, grandmother, and the women got up and went to the bathroom. And my father-in-law, who's now passed, but he was one of my best friends, he grabbed my leg like this, and he looks at me and goes, don't ever do that again. Oh, <laughs> okay. <no. laughs> I guess every, you know, here I was having the time of my life out there, but everybody else was flipping out. Yeah. And yeah. so, and to me, you know, that's okay. Um, but it's something I feel really strong about that may come up in this podcast and certainly will when we talk about my business someday, which is, you know, fear. And the opposite of love is fear. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. and uh, and fear of the unknown was palpable. And despite me being fine and with the right people and prepared on Aconcagua, um, people that don't know and understand what's going on out there, and immediately we live in this worldly world with fear of the unknown, and it's yeah. it's sin, it's mm-hmm. bad. Yeah, you know? mm-hmm. interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm just uh, I'm just sitting here thinking, you you know, you going on this journey feel compelled to go on this journey. And for me, like I have to build up the courage just to go into the woods. <laughs> and so <laughs> I'm still stuck on the fact that you had to figure out where you get your water and next meal. Right. So well, I, appreciate I just have a lot of respect that. for you guys with the experience in the outdoors. I'm sure I could rise to the occasion if I needed you to. Could, you could. No, no, if you were with me, both of you guys could go do this with me right now. I'm going with you I'll guys. You yeah. I need you guys if but, I'm going to do it. But listen, I had fear of the unknown, and that's exactly mm-hmm. why I planned. Yeah. Okay? Mm-hmm. Now, I wrote a piece you can see on my Cedrus website, um, but it basically talks mm-hmm. about at the end of this thing, how all the planning I put into it was nonsense and it was just a way for me to cover up my fear of where was I going to get water, where I was going to get food, you know, how was I going to put some organization around this trip so it wasn't just a complete let go. Mm -hmm. But what God wanted me to do with the trip was exactly the opposite, which is just to totally let go and hang out with him. 21 days and i'll prove that to you as we go through yeah show us how pieces. that take us along that path tell us how that how that worked out okay well um the, the next thing that's really important is to understand that you can sit there and say oh i want to get out of the world and i just want to hang out with god in the kingdom and and just commune with god um but the truth is it's really hard to snap your fingers and just do that sure is, you yeah. have to prepare into it so when you look at my journal um, and I read it before doing this podcast because it was a few years ago that I did this. Um, it's really weird to see how, even though I'm, here I am the first two, three, four days out there alone with God, how my head was still jacked up instead of my heart fired up mm-hmm. about the world, the worldly world. Okay, I'm thinking about business. I'm thinking about being guilty, like you asked me on the first mile. Okay, yeah. I'm thinking um, back then in that summer. Obama had just won the nomination for the Democratic Party, yep. and John McCain had just chosen Sarah Palin as his running mate. Remember that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, so it's just like now with politics. I got all that crap running through my brain, right? Yeah. And, and so you have to go through this process of defrag. So I know we'll talk later about silent retreats, which for me are a day or two, but you know, it took me a week before I totally got my head shut down and my heart started chinking up, okay? Yeah. So that's an important thing to know. Uh, the other thing I want to point out is that um, 
Let's go to the Bible for a minute, if that's okay. That's okay. You're allowed. Yeah, we can do that. Jesus had three silent retreats that were pretty typical in duration to my Colorado trail trip. I wasn't, like, deliberately trying to replicate that. God was calling me out there. But I believe God called Jesus out there, too. The first one was, of course, um, before he started his ministry, right? right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so he got up from being a carpenter and doing all that. He went out in the desert, and he spent time. Now, what happened in that des- desert? You guys tell me. He was tempted. Well, and he met, and he talked to God, right? Yeah, yeah. And yeah. God said, this is the ministry that I want you to do. But Satan was right there saying, no, you don't want to do that, right? That's right yeah. So it's what mm-hmm. I just said 10 minutes ago, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay. Um, the second time Jesus went out and disappeared, and I go, where the heck did that guy go? He walked back into town, and he delivered the Sermon on the Mount, <laughs> right? And if you haven't read that recently, I mean, that's like, what is this guy talking about? Yeah. Some guy hits me on one cheek, turn around and get the other. I mean, yeah. did you learn mm-hmm. to play football that way? <laughs> okay. So, I mean, here comes Jesus out of another silent retreat, and God gives him this download of the kingdom of heaven on earth that basically is telling people to do exactly the opposite of everything we were taught as kids growing up and everything. Yeah. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. I, I don't think Jesus, and for sure not the three of us, would have been able to deliver a message like that if it didn't come from God and you weren't alone and you weren't 100% sure that was God talking to you. Sure. And that's important because on all these retreats, you meet God and Satan. And when Satan's going to try to deceive you and confuse you. So the biggest part of the Colorado Trail Trip for me was to know what Satan's voice sounds like and to know what God's voice sounds like so that I could utilize that for the rest of my life to try to converge and and do what God designed for me before me and you guys were ever born, okay? Mm. So, um, and then Jesus' third one was when he disappeared and then he rode into Jerusalem. Um, Well, he came in to do the Last Supper, you know, and then rode into Jerusalem. But, you know, what a wild deal that was for the <laughs> disciples too okay yes. mm. Pete's like you're not washing my feet and what do you mean you're you know gonna die and one of my second favorite scriptures is john 15 when he's walking around the mount of Olives with him and explains the trinity to him even though certain people can't still understand it it's right there mm-hmm. um you know so so it's important when you go out there and, and you get this kind of communion with god he's going to give you some big stuff and it's it's great stuff, and you shouldn't be scared about it, but you should be scared about it until you go out there and get it. So it's this whole fear of the unknown thing, okay? Yeah. Um, yeah. You've met people before that are afraid to go deeper in their faith. Mm-hmm. Um, I work with a guy named Blake Fry who does these men's silent retreats out of Denver with some groups, and we go to these various places in the hills, and we get newbies out there who have never done a silent retreat before. Um, and they're a little scared. Yeah, <laughs> They're afraid God's going to tell them something that they're going to have a hard time explaining to their wife or something, or sure. their kids or something, all right? Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? So it's the fear of the unknown, all right? So anyway, off I go. I'm defragging from the world when you read my journal, okay? Um, and so if you read the thing front to back, and I'm willing to share it with anybody that's on this podcast, Jeremy promised me he's going to help me uh, Take it out of my handwriting and put. No, it I think you should something. do it in your handwriting. You're, I just look. Your handwriting is wonderful. <laughs> well, I guess so. He thinks my handwriting's good. Let's zoom in on that. Zoom on that. <laughs> and I just realized this is how I'm like a squirrel. I squirrel uh, my mind, but that paper is plastic too. That's the coolest little notebook. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get one. It's called uh, 
Write in the rain, yeah. R-I-T-E, in the rain, all-weather writing paper. That's why it's not trash. That's really awesome. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. So I, I took some notes about what kind of happened after that, but we talked about Dave Cook. The, the first thing you guys need to know is that first day, um, 16 miles, right? I said, hey, I don't want to hurt myself the first day. Take it easy. Okay. I got to my campsite, and it's 1.30 in the afternoon. Oh, my right. gosh. Yeah. I'm like, calm down. Don't hurt yourself, you know. <laughs> and I take out my fan- yeah, all day, yeah. and you get there at one. And yes. I take out my fancy MSR whisper light stove and my titanium cup, and I heat up some water. Okay, and I'm just like, you know, just relax. We'll just kind of sit here, and then we'll get after it again tomorrow with my forty pound pack. And I'm thinking with the stove, and the guy taps on my shoulder, and I turn around, and there's this guy about five foot nine with tattoos all up and down his arms and his leg. He smells like a bear. Um, he's got a bucket hat that's all greasy and a bamboo pole. <laughs> and he goes, hi, my name's Clint. What's your name? And I go, John Scott. And I'm like, this guy and me aren't going to get along. <laughs> and and uh, he said, what are you doing? And all puffy chest on my first day. I said, well, I'm going to Durango. And he, he goes, well, funny thing, I'm doing that too. <laughs> I go, okay. And he said, you mind if I sit down and have a meal with him? I go, it's a free world, you know. Yeah. <laughs> So he sits there with me, and we start breaking it down together. And this guy, I didn't know it at the time, but later on that night I learned his name was Clint Barmas. He has a trail name. Uh, Everybody that does these long trails, you get trail names from people you see, especially like the, you know, the um, uh, Appalachian Trail and whatnot. And his trail name was Lint, okay, Um, because he used to be out there and popping in and out of people's campsites over the weeks and months. But... Unbeknownst to me at the time, um, I I figured out pretty quick he was one of the guys I saw in the magazine doing 30 miles a day. But he, at the time, in 2008, was the only guy um, in history to have done the Pacific Crest Trail, the Continental Divide Trail, and the Appalachian Trail, all three of them three times over a nine-year period. So you were in good company. So he's a triple, triple crown. So the first day, God puts, you know, Michael Jordan in front of me for what I'm doing. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Um, well, wait, we can't, we can't go any further. What's your trail name? Spot. Yeah. Spot. <laughs> yeah. Spot. Because Spot. the second day with Lent, we were cruising along, and uh, <laughs> and he says to me, what the hell is that orange thing on your, on your belt there? I go, Spot, and I explained everything. I explained to you guys. And he goes, oh. He starts walking, and then he turns around again, and he said, why the hell would you want anybody knowing where you're at out here? <laughs> <laughs> I said, man, that's a really good point, Spot. <laughs> or Lint, um, he said, you know what? I'm going to call you Spot, okay? I love it. And I only hiked with this guy for three days, okay, because he had a nine-pound pack and I had a 40-pound pack. And I'll get to that the first night we camped. But um, he eventually got ahead of me because he had to hitchhike to town to post offices to get his food that he planted for his mm-hmm. trip and I had the luxury of my wife meeting me there <laughs> and so mm-hmm. you can see we were kind of on different time schedules and stuff okay um, but the trail's got this weird communication system where it's I, I'm not sure I fully understand how information passes up the trail and back down the trail even though you're not like right there with the people so I'd see people coming this way from Durango saying you know they'd see my orange thing and they go oh you must be spot 
you know, what? and I go, how do you know I'm spying? I said, well, Lint's about, you know, oh, 10 miles ahead of you. I'm like, ah, oh, you know, that kind of thing. So I was constantly chasing him and trying to catch up to him again, which I was never going to do because he's doing 30 miles and I'm doing 25. Gosh. And I always knew he was there, and you know that cool poster you see about the small footsteps of mm -hmm. God being out in front of you or Jesus being out in front of you. That's what I had. I mean, it was very spiritual because he had that bamboo pole, and we talk about how you're looking down all the time so you don't trip and stuff, and you see people's treads of their different shoes. And, but I kept seeing on the right side that little three-quarter-inch round circle from his bamboo pole, oh, wow. and I knew he was always there with me even though he wasn't. That's awesome. Isn't that kind of cool? But he was God-sent, and um, I'm planning on spending the night where we're at now with the food, um, I got my MSR and my mountain house, you know, chili mac and all that. He goes in his bag and he takes out a little Campbell's soup can that he put a handle on. And then he welded a half a Campbell's soup can on the bottom with some, like, uh, moon-shaped holes in the bottom. And he put sticks and stuff in there. You know, I got my yeah. red container gas deal. Yeah. You know, so, uh, you know, we're just two total opposite ends of the spectrum here. And he goes in his bag and he took some rice and beans and there were water and eats that and I'm doing my chili mac, okay. And I learned sitting there that he lives in Portland in um, those youth hostels and he's part of those guys that go out riding bikes at night at like oh. 10 o'clock with the lights and they're all anarchists, probably Antifa now. <laughs> he's probably in Antifa. But um, he was one of the brightest guys I ever met. He was well-read. He read the Bible from head to cover. And very simply, he was just calling BS on the world, which I can't really blame him for. I kind of call BS on the world, yeah, too. Okay? Yeah, it's kind of easy nowadays. But it was yeah. that's where he was at. And he dumpster dived for food and stuff. It was the year of the peanut butter scare. So he had all these mm. peanut butter cracker things that he sent to all the post offices and stuff like that. And it just We just couldn't be more different, okay? So anyway, we eat, and then all of a sudden he picks up his pack. We're kind of getting along. Um, and he says, let's go. And now it's decision time for me because everything I had planned on the timing where I was going to be oh, yeah. was, was up for grabs right now. I didn't realize it at the time, but it was. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so I'm like, well, you know, I want to be like this guy. So I pick up all my stuff and I start chasing him. And we ended up going another uh, 11, 12 miles that day. Wow. Okay. And so he likes 30 miles a day. Is he just a nice steady pace, or is he fast? No, that's a great question. Okay. So um, it's one of the questions I asked him one night when we camp. I go, how do I do those 30-mile days? He goes, oh, you can do those all day long. And he said, first of all, you got to lighten your pack. But number two, he said, you know, I saw you keeping up with me, so you're, you have the physical ability to do that. He said, but it's not about going fast. It's about getting a full day in. So technical mm -hmm. stuff, he taught me that to set your tent with the opening – directly due east and don't choose a place to camp that doesn't have a direct due east sun mm -hmm. line no trees in front wakes of you up. so it wakes you up so when the sun first comes up at six mm -hmm. or seven it kind of bakes your face and gets you up and it's cold mm -hmm. as hell in the mornings right yeah and i'll tell you about how he got my pack from 40 pounds down to 18 pounds yeah, but he said you only need one set of clothes you need a pair of shorts one pair of socks one shirt, okay, and I of course had you know sweatpants for camp and flip flops, you know, oh, yeah. a little chair mm -hmm. and all this stuff and, and slippers. Yeah, did you, get, did you have your slippers too? <laughs> well, Always and you know, and, and I 
two or three shirts and rain jackets and things like that. So I'll get to that in a minute. But he said, you want to get up when it's cold first thing in the morning. You want to pack your tent as quick as you can, you know, take some tea and maybe some food and then, you know, oatmeal and then hit the trail. Because the best time to log miles is first thing in the morning when you're freezing because it warms up your body to get moving in the shorts and everything. And then the other thing he taught me, because we did it the first night, is you hike right till dark. You don't hike, you don't camp at campsites. You just camp at the nearest flat area you can find as you're just not able to see 10 feet mm-hmm. in front of you. And you log your big miles in the morning and in the evening when the weather's cooler and slow down a little bit mm. midday. Yeah, wow. makes sense. So that's a tip from a pro right there. Well, so that makes a lot of sense because um, you, you said when you first saw Lint, he was a little greasy. And so the <laughs> one outfit, the one outfit thing, that explains... A little bit more. He's lighter. He's more efficient, mm-hmm. but he's also, you know, he's sweating a little bit more through those clothes. So, well, and the point he makes is you're out here by yourself. Yeah, and that's exactly what I desired to do. I wasn't looking to join a cult and make a bunch of new friends. I yeah. mean, I was, yeah. mm-hmm. I was out there, and he said, "You're going to smell, and it's just you." And you know, when you get to town, you can, you know, put your sleeping bag around you and throw your clothes in the laundromat for a couple of hours <laughs> and then get mm-hmm. out of there. But then what happened that evening? When we camped, um, I took out my MSR tent, okay, and set up all my fancy gear from REI. He pulls out this thing that looks like one of those, um, you know, uh, parasail bat wing things. That's okay. about six feet long, you know, that looks like, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and he stakes them out. Um, so he's just a fly. Yeah, yeah, okay, and but really light, like, yeah. you know, okay. And then he reached out of his pocket and took out something the size of a credit card, started unfolding it. It was about the thickness of a bag, of, you know, a glad bag. He laid that out and Do you know what the that bottom is? of his tent. I actually use that. Do you know what that is? Uh-uh. It's the uh, covering for, like, um, you know how you can winterize windows by putting plastic sheeting uh-huh. over? It's that. So you can buy it. It's super, super tough, though. So I have a full, I have a, a um, a TP tent that doesn't have a floor, yeah. but I don't want to puncture my mat. Exactly. So yeah. if you put that down first, but it's literally like mm-hmm. thinner than a plastic baggie. Yeah, that's and, what he had. And it folds up to yeah, nothing. Yeah, folded up and in his pocket, yeah. took out of his shorts. That's what those guys are. I, I read about it from some Appalachian Trail guys. There doing you go. It. Yeah, that's so what I learned. Went, that had it, and then he, then he had on the uh, the little pointers on the Batwing thing, he had little rubber bands like you use for braces. Okay. And then he had fishing line on those, and he found some sticks out there so he didn't carry stakes and put them in, stuck his bamboo pole that was size just perfect to stand it up yeah. underneath, and then he took out a, um, a fleece blanket, and that was his sleeping bag. That was, wow. that was his whole setup. Wow. Hmm. Okay. <laughs> All right, a nine-pound pack versus a 40-pound pack. But then I'm sitting there, you know, and I'm hurting a little bit from chasing him with a 40-pound pack. Yeah. And I said, what am I doing wrong? Go ahead and give me the shakedown. I've heard about it. It's in the movies. And I won't take you through all that. But like I said, you got me down to 18 pounds. But here's the tips you want to know that he gave me. And I think these are biblical. I think these are important to our life. But basically he said, um, you're not allowed to bring anything that, that doesn't have at least two uses. He said, my stuff in my pack has a minimum of three uses or it doesn't make the trip. Okay? And I said, well, what do you mean by that? And he said, well... What's that? And he was pointing at my rain jacket. And I go, that's for rain. He goes, well, what's that red thing over there? I go, that's my tent fly. And he goes, well, why wouldn't that make a good rain jacket? And I said, good point. Mm-hmm. I never thought of that. And he said, that's the point. He said, I sit in my youth hostel all day with nothing to do. I just do odd jobs. Yeah. 
And I just plan about this long trail I'm going to do next year and constantly figuring out ways to shave ounces. And he said, don't beat yourself up. He goes, well, you know, you were behind a desk, you know, running a company and you come cruising out here. <laughs> you're not yeah. going to know this stuff if you're not totally absorbed into the whole point of getting it low below that. And I'm just like, man. But to be honest with you, when I'm going through all this, I'm thankful that God put that guy into my life the first day. Because yeah, you can you. imagine what happened to oh, my yeah. trip by lowering the weight by that amount that allowed me to not experience so much pain so I could concentrate on spending time with daddy instead of messing mm -hmm. with my gear and everything, okay? So this guy's really important. Quick, Lent, quick question for you on that. Um, when you first ran into him, mm -hmm. first I'll preface, I'm, I'm, I'm asking this because I think I would have been frustrated because I was out there to do it myself. Mm -hmm. I, and I do this a lot in life. Like people interrupt something that I'm, I have planned for me. It's like I... I'm on this mission, and then somebody will somebody will come in the in, in the middle of it, and it's like trying to find the the patience in the moment to say maybe this is God, maybe there's something good come from it, or maybe I just need to move past it. So, like my emotion in that would have been real. It would have been tough for me to say uh, I want to hang out with this guy. I may have wanted to shun him. And yeah, and, I kind of already said that, didn't I? I was being arrogant. Yeah. Like, first of all, hey, you know, who the hell are you out here? I'm yeah. going to Durango. And he's like, yeah. oh, so am I. And, yeah. and he smelled and he looked different. And I knew he was from a different zip code than me. And I, my experience was exactly you. So you asked me earlier what were some of those early emotions. It was guilt, yeah. um, trying to get rid of the world and, and seeing how stupid and torn up I was that. The other mm -hmm. thing is, um, yeah, and so here comes a guy. I didn't see yeah, that many people on the trips, yeah. but you're going to hear at the end of this that he was the most important guy in the trip. I'm 100% sure he's an angel, okay, because it goes on. Okay, yeah, okay. continue, continue. So the, uh, <laughs> but I want to, before I move away from the shakedown thing, because you asked me what were some of the pointers, Yeah. Um, you know, here I am, whatever it is, 15 years later or whatever, and I look back upon that. It's really kind of damning because I spent so much time planning that pack, and I was 100% I would die without anything in there, yeah. including cutting my mm. toothbrush in half the night before. Yet here comes a guy that lives in the youth hostel hanging out with the CEO. He's talking into my crap, and it was basically a report card of how damaged I was in the world. Mm. That this world teaches us you need all this stuff or you're not going to make it. As a matter of fact, one of my favorite scriptures um, for sales, and you guys have to do sales for your businesses, okay, is Luke 10, and it's when Jesus sends out the 72. And I, I love the title of that, first of all, because I'm like, who the hell are these other 60 guys? <laughs> okay. Yeah, exactly. So I just stop right there and ponder it for half an hour. But basically it talks about how he sends them out in two, okay? And the first thing he tells them after that in the scripture, he says, don't bring anything with you. And, mm -hmm. you know, when I first started my own company, um, when I left the big wirehouse firms, I had these employees working for me. I'm doing all these seminars. We're getting all these leads for business. But the employees working for me kept saying, well, I need brochures and stuff like that. And I go, well, what do you need them for? And basically, we're back to the fear thing again. They knew we were a small company. They were worried we didn't have any credibility. Um, and basically, instead of being confident in what they were selling and themselves and what they do, they wanted some pretty brochure to tell a story. And Jesus said, go without anything. 
he said, uh, you'll, the second thing he said is you'll be like sheep to wolves, <laughs> mm-hmm. which I don't know what that means to you guys, but to me, that's the way the world looks. I mean, it's ugly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So if Jeremy and I mm-hmm. talked about that, I expect the world to be crazy like that every day. I expected it out on the Colorado Trail, too. I knew Satan was going to be trying to trip me up. And then, uh, and then he said, when you get there, just tell them your peace statement. Tell them why you're here. And he said, if they accept it, then stay. And if they don't, dust off your, off your feet and go. Well, what does that mean? That means if they accept it, especially if it's a stranger who's never met you before, it means God's exactly where you want him to be, which is out in front of you. He would have laid it on that person's heart a day or two before you got there that, hey, yeah. you know, this is what you need, and some guy's going to be coming in and saying something, <laughs> divine mm. appointment, That's right. there we go. Yeah. Okay, so that's really important in sales because I watch salespeople just grind and try to put square pegs and round holes with people they should really be moving on from because God doesn't really want them to do business with those people anyway. But Lint was definitely a round peg for a round hole. It was exactly what I needed at that time because I would not have made that trip carrying a 40-pound pack. Yeah. It just it wouldn't have happened. And I saw about half a dozen guys coming the other way that started in Durango that were people in their 20s, much younger, much tougher than I was. And I could just see in their eyes that they were winding down and, and thinking about quitting and failing. And, you know, I know for sure they didn't make it. And I found out later there was only three of us that, you know, completed a through hike that year oh, in, wow. in the um, you know, ultralight fashion doing 25 to 30 miles a day. So off Clinton I go, he does a shakedown. <clears throat> we separate at Kenosha Pass. I get my reload with my wife, Lori. Um, he hitchhikes to town. He's ahead of me for the rest of the trip. Um, the next thing that happens after that um, that's kind of interesting is uh, I'm writing this journal. You can see I'm starting to move away from uh, from the world. Um, but if you read Dave Cook's book or you watch his movie, one of the things he talks about that's a problem in the world is, in America especially, is we do everything by scoreboards. Mm-hmm. I grew up that way. If you're an athlete, you grew up that way, okay? Even mm-hmm. if we watch a football game and your favorite team, you know, West Virginia or, you know, CU or the Broncos or whatever, and we win, everybody's high five, and right. it's like we all just met Jesus or something, Okay. <laughs> Like, have you ever been somewhere where everybody just high-fives for yeah. Jesus? Okay. No. So well, maybe. No. Maybe we, once. We need to get there. We'll do it right now. Let's get <laughs> there over there. Okay. But go. anyway. The, Aaron, where, uh, are you at? where are you at, Aaron? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I was born with scoreboards. I was taught since I was a little kid to pass the tests and beat everybody else in the tests and win the sprint races for two-a-days and, you know, mm-hmm. win on the scoreboard. And so my whole life was scoreboard. And I – Despite what Lint told me, which is don't worry about where you get every day, he gave me all this wisdom, but that was one thing. He said, make the trip your own trip, because I told him, oh, we just screwed up on my plans, you know. And he said, John, he goes, that's not the way you do these things. He goes, think of how hard it was for you to get out from behind your desk to get out here. He said, make it your own. Just go with what your body tells you to do every day. He said, if you set goals for you where you're going to camp or be every day, he said, nobody's going to care whether you got to that camp or not. And he said, you're setting yourself up for disappointment if you can't get there for a physical reason or whatever. And he said, why? I he said, I can't figure out for the life of me why you would do, you know, do a lifetime trip like this and do anything that would remotely be a measuring tool of disappointment for you. Mm-hmm. And I had to really let that sink in. Like, that's some pretty serious wisdom right there. It is. <laughs> okay. So here I am about mid-trip. 
And despite everything he had told me and I told you, I figured out that 2,000 steps was a mile. And so I decided I wanted to go 27 or 28 miles one day. I did it, okay? And um, like I said, I, I didn't spend a lot of time in the morning, okay? I hiked till it got dark. When I got done hiking, all I had time to do was to do triage on my bisters and my feet and clean my feet for the night, um, cook some food, and write my journal. Okay, that was it, and then I'd pass out. Anyway, I sit down that night to journal up and say, okay, what happened today? Where did I experience God today? What, what did I encounter? And it was another total damnation on my life. I figured out I'd spent the whole day counting it to 2,028 times. And I was all proud of myself, and I couldn't come up with another word to write in my journal to do anything significant. <laughs> because you'd spent all day counting. Yeah, and that's kind of whacked, if you think about it. <laughs> yeah. Here I am, I got a, a full day alone with God, didn't see anybody, and all John Scott could come up with was count to 2,028 times. Mm -hmm. That's just mm -hmm. wrong. Okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm not a big scoreboard guy anymore, and I've, I've even learned that kingdom math isn't the same math as worldly math. There's multiplication in kingdom stuff. and So obviously God's behind all this, and he's just trying to take me through this journey of showing all the stuff that's broken in my life, Okay. Um, starting with the pack and, and now with these 2,000 steps, okay? So that was kind of crazy. Um, the next thing that happens I think is significant is somewhere in there, I finally, uh, so I brought a baby Bible with me. To this point, I hadn't opened it once because I was like, oh, I'm going to read this thing from Genesis to Revelation. You know? How many days is this in? Uh, I'm probably about 10 days into okay. 11. Okay. Um, then, then I had David's little book, David Cook's. And that little book's about this big. I urge everybody to get a copy of it, okay? Uh, it's a book written by Chuck Swindoll, and it's called Intimacy with the Almighty. Mm. So this is David Cook said, you got to have this book, okay? So I finally opened it up, and it's, it's you know, it's about this fat. It's nothing, okay? But Swindoll wrote the book because he had a, a heart for um, pastors at churches when they go on sabbaticals. And in modern America, these sabbaticals that these um, pastors are going on is like take my kids to Disneyland for two weeks. Yeah. Now, the purpose of a sabbatical, I think, within the church is you're, you know, you're seeing so much nasty stuff at the church, divorces, people dying, doing funerals, uh, drug addiction problems, suicides, you know, child molestation, that eventually, you know, like the, like the EMT guys, you just burn out a little bit and yeah. you need a break, okay? For me, that break, when I do silent retreats, I, I think of like, you know, Elon Musk and charging an electric car. Uh, you know, you got to plug the thing in and get some juice, That's okay? Right. I also talk a lot, Jeremy, you've heard me talk about, it's like plugging your guitar, electric guitar, into an amp, okay? Because your guitar doesn't sound like anything until you plug it into the big guy, okay? The creator mm -hmm. of the universe. So, anyway, I'm reading this book, uh, uh, Swindoll, short and sweet, but the, to give you guys just the cliff notes on it, it concentrates on um, what I call the four S's, so the letter S, okay? And so the first of the four letter S's is solitude, okay? And I'm, he's like, you got to get alone. You can't be with your family. You can't be with anybody else. And I want you guys to soak this in in terms of silent retreats, which I sure. want you to know about, too. It, to me, it's not a silent retreat unless you have the four S's. Okay. okay. So the first mm -hmm. one's solitude. So I'm, really, I'm going, 
Check that box. I'm out here all alone. Got it. Got it. Okay. Maybe we're good. All right. Uh, the next one. By default. Yeah. <laughs> the, the next one is simplicity. Okay. Got it. Okay. And so, yeah, Lint did a shakedown on me. Like, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah. okay. You were pretty Lint simple before. <laughs> and by the way, I didn't have a cell phone out there or anything like that. Yeah. I'm just, you know, I was smart enough not to bring a cell phone out there. Okay. And so we got, we got solitude. We got simplicity. The third one's pretty important. It's called silence. Now, think about that for a minute, okay? So when I go on silent retreats after this trip now, I have to still go up in the mountains because that's where I kind of relate back to what I learned on the trip. But I also look for like a rock cave or something that can get underneath there so I don't hear planes flying over or I don't hear trucks coming around the corner jacking a jake break or something like that so to me silence means i can't hear anything man-made mm. it's okay if i hear the animals and out in the colorado trail the noises i hear them i remember the most is the wind mm. okay um mm. and then little animals everybody always said oh did you bring a gun and i said no i didn't bring a damn gun and and they said, well, didn't you see any animals? I said, I, I saw every animal in the dictionary for Colorado, <laughs> but they were running away from me as fast as they could because I looked like a shirt. There. Yeah, that's right. So that's some cool. big smelly guy <laughs> coming down the trail and moose and deer and marmots and pikas were running away from me as quick as they could. So, but um, nature sounds that God addresses in the Bible and Genesis that he gave to us are good, but you want to eliminate all the man-made sounds to truly have that third S, which is silence, okay? Lots of it, okay? Because uh, for me, as soon as I hear a man-made noise, and I've turned on, plugged in my guitar cord to my heart, which is where you hear the Holy Spirit, I don't hear the Holy Spirit in my head. I don't hear God in my head. I hear him in my heart, okay? And Jesus is very specific about that, okay? Um, as soon as I hear a man-made noise, what happens? I go to my head because mm -hmm. my sensory perception from my ears and my eyes starts to process it in my brain and my guitar cord gets pulled out of the amp and I can't hear God anymore. So mm -hmm. I, I challenge you guys to work on that, okay? And again, I got time to sort of experiment with all this out there, which I'll get to in a minute. So we got three S's so far, solitude, simplicity, and silence. Now all I had to do was work on the fourth S, and the fourth S was surrender. That's easy, right? <laughs> okay. And really the bottom line is of my trip, I didn't know it when I was going out there, but the bottom line of my trip was, and, and it was sort of graphic by the shakedown of my backpack, was what was I going to leave out there that I thought was important in my life, and it's holding me back from what Jesus is trying to do with my life because I insist on carrying it everywhere. Yeah. And that can be emotional, that can be physical, uh, it can be material. Um, <clears throat> but I am 100% convinced from this trip that maturation as a Christian man, a businessman, wherever you want to be, a husband, a father, um, is a process of getting rid of things, not gaining things. I would agree. Okay? And it was so graphic in terms of the weight of my pack and where I was trying to go every day and the things, and, and utilizing and being grateful for the things I already had instead of putting more things that cost more money over the top of it that just made it more complex to carry all these things or whatnot. Yeah. It, it's powerful, okay? Um, and then the other thing you learn when you get these four things down, even in the business world, because I'm pretty wealthy, is, um, you know, 
because I'm where I'm supposed to be and I'm leading people and, and getting my commands from God, not from a business book or the nightly news or something like that, the Lord's blessing it and you know, he's putting more resources and wealth, whatever you want to call it, or people in my life than I could have even dreamed of doing on my own when I tried to do it John Scott's way, which I was very good at doing that before I became a believer. Yeah. I had plenty mm-hmm. of success, but it was all on John Scott's terms. Yeah. Makes sense? Yeah. So those four S's, and get that book, Intimacy with the Almighty. I have a bunch of them. I'll give you one. I'd love one. But, yeah. you know. Everybody that listens to this podcast should get one of those. Yeah, we'll link yeah. it in the description. We're going to link really. it. Yeah, perfect. No, I'm going to link it, Jeremy. Okay. No, no, Wes will I'm actually. I'm, pr- I'm pretty sure Wes will air. <laughs> don't take don't take credit for what Wes does. Come on, man. <laughs> Let me do it. You can do it. All right, well, I'll oh, keep I going now. And then, then God had more for me after that. I mean, now I'm starting to cry a little bit. I'm starting to feel the junk coming out of me. I'm leaving things out there. You know, similar to like they do with these crucibles and things like that. I'm doing my own thing with Jesus, which is awesome, okay? Um, But I'm being real about it. You know, I'm trying to spend time talking to him every day. And I thought, I'm working on this scoreboard thing, okay? Um, To be honest with you, I stopped it right there. I just said, this is nonsense. I'm not doing this anymore. But God still had two or three more things for me. The first one was an injury, (laughs) okay? Mm. Which is really, and, and the first one was blisters. I had 12, 14 blisters on each feet. Um, and so I learned a lot. Still want to do it, Aaron? <laughs> no. Okay. So what's really interesting, and, and this is, I'm a math engineer guy, but this is really biblical too. When my, when my pack weighed 40 pounds, I had to wear lightweight hiking boots. I, I wore uh, metal chameleons, okay? okay, but they were ankle height, okay? Because when you got 40 pounds on your back, you're going to twist your foot if you don't have boots like that. Mm-hmm. But then when my pack got down to 19 pounds, I didn't need the boots anymore. I was able to use, like, trail running shoes that had a hard shank. <clears throat> As a matter of fact, when I met Lynn, he was, of course, wearing trail running shoes, and he didn't even have the laces tied. Now, why is that? Well, because he wanted to get maximum airflow through there because the only way you get blisters is when your feet get wet from sweat. Yeah. Okay? And so I had all these blisters because I was carrying too heavy a pack. And I don't know, I'm an engineer, but my brain goes to, like, the heavier your pack is, the more gear you need, and then you get hurt more. Whereas if your pack was lighter, which, again, is a damnation on your life that you can't live without Mm -hmm. these things, and you have left stuff, then you can wear the shoes with the laces undone, and you have a much more delightful, great trip. Isn't Mm -hmm. that what we all really want in our lives? It (laughs) is, yeah. Okay, so it's just crazy. So God's downloading all this stuff to me that's in the journal. Um, but anyway, I, I got I got 14 blisters on each feet, okay? And um, I met Lori in Buena Vista, and she had a cabin for the night. Uh, we were right there by Princeton Hot Springs. Yeah. And in the cabin, when I was taking a shower, the, it was one of those old metal basins that the cabins have, and it backed up about four inches, and all of a sudden my feet just started stinging. And and it had a bad drain and it was full of Drano and that Drano salts were getting in all my oh, no. uh, my blister wounds. Oh. So I am really hurting now. So we go to town and talk to some doctors and get some Epsom salts and soak my feet in water because I'm hitting the trail next morning. Okay, yeah. um, and deal with all that. But I had to deal with them the rest of the trip. So I may have mentioned to you 
I had to deal with my feet every night. Yeah. So I would put, um, you know, Vaseline on them and some analgesic, and then I'd put um, gauze on them, and i put duct tape over them so that the duct tape could slide against my socks and get rid of the rubbing and whatnot. But I had to take care of my feet every night and then let them dry out in my sleeping bag during the night and then dress them in the morning before I went out again. Wow. But your feet get trashed on this trip. Yeah. Uh, Lynn's feet look like, you know, something a dinosaur would have or something. <laughs> okay. So that's a byproduct of this particular sport. Okay. Yeah. Um, but I got through with it. But then I, I, uh, I, I kind of learned how to, well, I, I've always, I was a football player and a rugby player, so pain doesn't really bother me. That's why I was just kind of trucking along with this. It eventually just goes numb and I just ignore it. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I'm trying to communicate with God more and more of the hours every day. I'm saying goodbye to the world. I'm starting to hang out in the kingdom all day. But then I did something really stupid. The scoreboard came back to get me. And I realized the night before I camped two miles um, before a certain campsite I wanted to get to because I'm still thinking about the number of days and doing 25 sure. or 30 mm-hmm. days, which mm-hmm. is totally jacked up. So God's going to flush this out of me now. And I, the next day, uh, coming downhill through the Elk Range near um, where the, uh, the Silverton train goes through okay. and all that, I ended up jogging that day. I'm getting in pretty good shape now down there, but off to the side of the trail, and um, I kind of feel bad about this, but I wasn't walking right on the trails because they're hard and it hurt my feet. I was walking on the sides and the pine needles that were softer and stuff like that. But anyway, I was coming down from the Elk Range and there were free range uh, um, cows up there. And when it, it rains, their hooves stick these like yeah. six inch holes. Yeah. And I kept hitting those holes and twisting my ankle. And I was mm-hmm. like, man, next time I do that again, like I'm gonna break my ankle. And, and I just kept doing it. But anyway, I got to the campsite that night, I'm all right. But the next morning I start walking, and man, my shin feels like I have a, a hairline fracture in it. And I'm three and a half days out from Durango. Oh, that's the finish. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and uh, I stop and I look at I just God, I go like, this is it. You know, we're gonna we're just gonna quit half you know, mm-hmm. with three and a half days to go. So again, my brain takes over, not my heart. And I'm like uh, heating up stones in my water and rubbing plant for oils on there and trying to do like hot stone massage and make it go away. And it's hurting all up into my thighs and knees. And nothing's working. And I'm, I'm starting to cry. I go, man, is this the way this story's going to end? And I get up and I just, I don't know why, but I go into another level of prayer and communion with him that I'd never experienced before. And all of a sudden I couldn't feel the pain. So I start walking, and I'm limping, but, I mean, I'm going at, like, a two-mile-a-day pace, and I'm experimenting with this now. So I'm going into this deep meditation with God, and I can't feel it, and I cruise along for about 300 yards, and all of a sudden, something stupid, like, just think about my wife, pain comes right back. Isn't that crazy? And so for three days, I experimented with being in the Spirit, totally focused on the Holy Spirit where I was out of body experience. I had no idea where I was going. I couldn't feel the pain. And every time I switched from here to my head, the pain came back and I went right back down to a slow limp. And obviously I wanted to get to Durango, um, but I had to kind of learn how to hang out in this place. And the crazy thing is the last two days, you would think I was walking a lot slower than I did the other days, but the last two days, once I learned how to be with the Spirit all day, 
I went further those two days than I did in the really? other days, even though I wasn't keeping track of where I was going because that was part of what God was trying to show me. Yeah, that's cool. Isn't that crazy? It is. Okay, and then as soon as I come out the other end there, um, my wife's there, you know, she's patting me on the back saying, everybody's been following you, we can't believe you did it, and all of a sudden, like, I couldn't care about that at all. <laughs> as a matter of fact, I mean, I'll ask you, Jeremy, what do you think I wanted to do? Well, I know because you told me, okay. <laughs> um, but I'll let you tell them. Well, um, if you get to hang out alone with God for days and days and days. And how many days was it total? 21 days. 21 days, okay. Yeah, with a little bit out in between. But, sure. But um, I love my wife. We're great. You know, we, yeah. we're, we're going to be married forever. But to be honest with you, I want to turn around and go right back in again because yeah. I was experiencing no pain because of where I was at with the spirit. My body had fully transformed it was a you know major physical thing, so I, I looked like a you know you know cage fighter, um, <clears throat> and I never experienced peace like I did those last three days of being in the spirit for the full yeah. time. And that's when I learned what God's voice was. There was one last thing that happened last day. First of all, when it came out, that hairline fracture, my ankle swelled up the size of a cantaloupe right before mm -hmm. my eyes. It didn't when I was on the trail. As soon as I stopped and I had to deal really? with the world, it swelled right up. Wow. Isn't that crazy? It really is. <laughs> yeah. So there's miracles going on here. So, so t two other quick little miracles. One was um, about, you know, a couple of days before I hurt myself out, I'm cruising along and I reached down and my spot's gone. Okay. Mm. <laughs> it fell off of my belt. And that means that everybody was following me was just seeing breadcrumbs <laughs> in the same spot. He's dead. He's dead. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> okay. So we're back to what Lynn said. Why the hell would you bring that thing? <laughs> okay. So I'm like, shit. So I take my pack and I throw it in the uh, a bush and I start cruising back. Now, remember I told you I wasn't on the trail. Oh, that's right. I'm yes. walking off yes. on the side. Oh, so I'm, I'm backtracking like one mile, two miles, three miles, four miles, trying to figure out which side of the trail and the soft side I was on. Back again, back again. I was like, man, I cannot find this thing. This is not good. There's going to be people flipping out, you know? Okay. So what do I do? Pray. Right? Yeah. So I go to my knees and I pray, God, just, you know, do something to calm everybody's hearts or have the battery run out, whatever you can do. And, and I get done praying. I'm crying a little bit. And I open my eyes and I look right over my right two feet and there's spots sitting right there. No oh way. Gosh. True story. That's unbelievable. <laughs> Okay, that's unbelievable. So I pick it up and I'm running like David out there when he found <laughs> the, uh, you know, the Ten Commandments or whatever it was, the Ark, and yeah, yeah. like I got my spot and I run back, get my pack, and get going. <laughs> um, the other thing that happened it was a big one on the last um, day and a half. It's really interesting that day and a half uh, there's no water, mm. and I knew that it was in all the guides. So I had to load up my big dromedary thing, and Lint had taught me only to carry enough water to go to the next water source every day, which basically meant four or five miles. So I didn't even use that dromedary. I just used the bottle because it was enough to get to every single water point. He's like, why the hell would you carry a day's worth of water? That's, you want to make your you pack heavy. It's like, I didn't think of that. Like, okay. <laughs> okay. So, um, but this part you had to carry. Okay. And so um, my pack had a webbing in the back, which is pretty typical, like if you had a wet fly or something sure. in a dry out. So I had this, you know, drummer there, and I stuck it in the webbing of my pant. And I'm cruising along, just hanging out with God, not paying attention to anything about a day out from Durango. 
And all of a sudden, I trip on a root, and I am airborne. I'm Superman, okay? And my chin hits the trail, and my pack comes up over my head and digs my chin into the dirt. And that's my dromedary coming out, bouncing out of there. And I watch it. It was like slow motion in a movie. It bounced on the trail twice to the edge, and it went over this cliff. And I, I crawl on my knees and belly oh to the cliff. I look down. It's about 200 feet down. And about 50 feet down, wedged against the tree, is my dromedary. And I'm like, what the? Yeah, so I take my pack out, and I figure out a way to get down to that tree. But I could have slipped and fell a couple hundred feet. And I got back up, and I was reading my journal before this, and I just said, what the hell was that, God? <laughs> Here I am just hanging out with you. And, and you know, boom, boom. And as soon as I said that, um, I heard tongues for the first time in my life. They were all, it sounded like there were 10 voices talking to me and they were in different languages and stuff like that. And then pretty soon I got clarity from all of it. Um, and it, it had to do with the roots, which is that um, you can hang out with me alone all day and you can think your life's going to be perfect. But while you have life in this world here, you will have... Uh, travails and problems and that's why i have you here and you have to always be ready for the roots that are going to come up but know that i'm always here one step front. so at the end of my journal which was the last day god kind of pulled everything together for me right that's there. amazing mm. yeah that's amazing so then okay so you've finished you you told me an interesting um story about your ride home yeah well like i said i was freaking out coming back into the world. <laughs> you know, you could just feel the pressure of all the crap going on that we're all processing right now today, right? And so when you come from a place where you just experience all this peace, and I hope that's the way heaven's going to be someday. <coughs> I haven't been there, but my guess is we're going to be out of our body hurt and stuff like that, and, you know, God's going to have everything, and we're not going to have to deal with elections and you know, critical race theory or whatever the heck is pissing <laughs> us off today. So um, it's just hard to come back to, uh, you know, even still to this day, I don't like the world. <laughs> yeah. Because I got a taste of what the other side tastes like. Okay. Yeah. And, and, you know, I had to get mentored through that by Joe Coors and guys like Dave Cook. And, and they showed me that God has a specific purpose for all of us in this world. And just like Luke 10 says, it's, it's gonna be, we're going to be like sheep to wolves, okay? Mm -hmm. There's yeah. nothing pleasant about being a sheep to a wolf, Yeah. okay? Mm -hmm. And so that just comes with the territory, and I think that was part of my spiritual reformation too, to expect that every day instead of being disappointed by it because I was expecting something better, Yeah. right? Um, so, but basically we had, you know, Lori had gotten a hotel room because she had read somewhere I was going to be a little weird, and she was right about that. <laughs> and, and I went and got And you, and you still are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then um, she said, what do you want to do? And I said, I want to go home. But I said, first thing we're going to do is get a cheeseburger with some green chili strips and cheese going all over it and barbecue sauce because I'm starving. <laughs> so I slammed one of those down, and then it was a long, long five, six-hour ride home where I just stared out the window and I just cried and I looked at her and tried to talk to her, but my throat just tightened up, and I just, I was just, you know, mm -hmm. feeling the weight of the world. And yeah. we got back to Denver in the evening, and she said, what do you want now? And I said, let's get a steak. You know, I'm still hungry. And yeah. we go to an Outback Steakhouse in um, Wadsworth Boulevard there, coming out of 285, and 
you know, you guys probably don't realize this, but I sure could. Uh, I got out of the car, and the car's going up and down. Wadsworth sounded like a 747 engine landing next to me compared to the silence I had had out in the trail. And I could hear the music outside, and it sounded like I was at a loud rock concert. And we got inside, and there were 20 tables or whatever, and they bring you that little piece of bread, and you order your steak and salad. Yeah. And they brought the salad out, and I just got tears running down my eyes because I can hear every single conversation at every single table because wow. my hearing had gotten so acute to those huh. small natural things in God's voice that being back in the world with all this noise that we process every day in our heads, I couldn't deal with it, and I just told her, I, I can't do it. Time to bring the tab. i got to go home. Oh. And and that's what kind of led to me doing silent retreats. I mean, the second day I was home, um, I, I told my wife, I, I'll see you later. I, got, I just had to go for a 10, 15, 20-mile hike to get back in the woods because yeah. there really was a reentry deal. But then I realized that's not really what I desired. What I desired was the intimacy with God. Amen, yeah. So that's when I started to do the silent retreats to try to replicate the beauty of what happened to me during the Colorado Trail trip. So before we go there, what? tell me about this this feather. Does it have any significance? Yeah, it does. It was on the last day um, before I dropped down into the woods. I was on a ridge, and I was looking. It's called Taylor Reservoir near Durango. I was looking at these beautiful wildflowers and everything, got on my knees and prayed. And again, when I woke up again, there was a feather sitting right there, and I just wanted to keep it as a bookmark just to kind of remember yeah. the power of the spirit I was in then at that time. That's so, awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. So amazing story. I know there's probably a million stories within that. Aaron, before I take off in another direction, do you have any, any thoughts, any questions? You know, I just, um, I'm, we're probably thinking the same way, but I just, I, I think about those special times of, where you're disconnected from the world, you're plugged into the source, you're getting this infilling in your spirit, and then coming back, there's just this stark contrast. And I've experienced that just a, li a little bit without the pain and the hiking, um, where we took a year-long trip away as a family, just disconnected from sort of community, and, and, and we were in nature and we were together, and then coming back and feeling just this contrast of like, how, how do I reconnect here? one of the values that we had when we came back was we need to figure out like, how do we take the principle of what we experienced as a family during that year and apply it to everyday life. And with a lot of, uh, vulnerability and, and authenticity, I'll say like, I feel like we have not accomplished that. We haven't successfully done that. We've got fallen back into, the routines and falling back into the busyness. And so that there's a part of me that just feels like oh, missing, missing that. So I'm very excited and curious to hear what you've put into, into practice to, um, it sounds like, you know, apply these silent retreats and what that looks like and how you, how you would advise other people to do that. Yeah. So that's where I'd like to, to kind of land here is, um, not everyone physically, number one, uh, but but just financially or may not have the time to do what you did, right? Some of us do. Uh, yeah. Probably we could all figure it out. 
I think, maybe not I think physically. God could figure it out. Yeah, yeah. Maybe not <laughs> he physically. He takes care of the birds. He takes care of you out <laughs> That's there. That's right. <laughs> but yeah. But you continue on in this this uh, this pursuit of of time with Him and hearing from the Holy Spirit, and you do that in many ways. But one way is th- through these silent retreats. Mm-hmm. And so I'd like to just talk through what is a silent retreat? What does it look like? Uh, what are we trying to get out of it? So like uh, almost like t- take us through. I was already. Um, recently was wanting to do silent retreats. I read a book, Ruthless Elimination of Hurry by John Comer, and he talks about silent retreats. Some of his are a little different. He talks about going to monasteries for like three days. Um, you can stay there. They'll feed you. It's silent. Like, yeah. There's all kinds of, but it's already, it's already on my heart. Then I met you and you're talking about silent retreats over and over again. So mm-hmm. we met uh, uh, over lunch and, uh, and, and I tried it, and as you would say, uh, Satan <laughs> will show up just like God shows up. Uh, Wes, we can we can quip to this this quip here uh, and show our guests exactly what I experienced. But I went up in the mountains, I had a tent, everything. I mean, it was the weather supposed to be perfect. Before I know it, it was like forty mile an hour gust on top of this mountain. My tent is about to blow away. I'm like, well, I'm going home. But I still spent the entire day with him. I fasted. I know you don't. We can talk through all that, mm. but I still, I still had great takeaways from it, uh, and uh, it was it's something that I cannot wait to do again. I'm by no means an expert, uh, so I don't think I'm the one to speak on it. I know you've done it way, way more than I have. Uh, so, would you explain like what a silent retreat is, why you do it? Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the reason why I do it is I want to replicate what I just told you I experienced on the trail, especially my third and last week because yeah. the the level of communion was overwhelming you know and it's it's probably the greatest thing that's ever happened to me that week okay mm-hmm. so um you know i know we have other stuff to talk maybe on different podcasts but um you know i believe it showed me what heaven was and i want to go to heaven someday because it's better than the life we live right now it just is okay mm-hmm. and i know we all say that but you don't, it's, we're back to the fear of the unknown. You don't really know till you know. What, what does that mean? It showed you what heaven was. Explain that to me. Well, I, I didn't say specifically because I don't know. Okay? okay. But what you read in certain places and revelations and downloads from prophets and whatnot um, is that we won't be in the world anymore. <laughs> sure. Okay. <laughs> I mean, it's really not any more complex than that. And, So again, all I know is what I experienced out there, and I I had an out-of-body experience where I had no idea where I'd hiked that day. I overcame a major injury. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't overcome it. God overcame it. And it allowed me to go farther than I ever had at any time during the trip when for every humanly, worldly reason, I shouldn't have been able to do that. Mm -hmm. Okay? Yeah. I would love to live that way the rest of my life, okay? Yeah. <laughs> All right? And I think that can fall back into family issues or financial issues or leadership issues. We can, I can talk to you guys for hours about this because very simply, it's like, okay, now that you have all this wisdom, what are you going to do with it? You're just going to pack it away in your journal and say, you know, put it on my resume or are you going to do something with it? Yeah. And I told you guys back when I became a believer, I pushed all the chips in. Um, and it was not a good time with my wife and stuff because she was very awkward with me pushing all the chips in. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. As a matter of fact, during the middle of the Colorado Trail trip in Buena Vista, when I was talking to you, my wife had a mental breakdown. She just cried all night and wouldn't even talk to me. And she couldn't explain to me what was she was flipping out about. And I'm sitting here going, my wife's <laughs> breaking down in front of me in my arms in yeah. that little cabin I talked about. Yeah, that. yeah. And... Uh, 
and she's crying, and she's saying, she, she was saying, it's so sad, and I'm like, I'm having the freaking best time of my life here, and my wife's melting down. Yeah. And what was going on was she thought I was looking for something out there that she wasn't providing. Oh, I see. Which is kind of true. <laughs> I was trying to spend time with God, for God's sake. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I'm having the time of my life, but she's going through all this uncertainty and guilt and stuff like that, okay, which we worked out after the fact, okay. But let me, you know, I don't want to go down too deep a rabbit hole, but... The, the purpose was to try to replicate that awesome feeling that I felt out there. And I'm just going to tell all of you right now, look you straight in the eye and tell you, on a one-day silent retreat, um, I'm lucky if I get 25% to what I had out there when you're stringing multiple days together. Okay? Mm. So let's just be clear on that right now. And I'm talking about multiple days on the four S's. So I don't care if you go to a monastery you know, or hang out in a dumpster or whatever you do, but you got to get the four S's or it's not a silent retreat. And those are what? Say those again. Okay, it's, uh, it's, okay. it's solitude, solitude simplicity, simplicity, silence, and surrender. 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 Yes. Okay. So one I'm of the good, purposes. I'm a good student. There you go. <laughs> Five S. That's the S. You have this weird Fifth ability S. to memorize stuff. <laughs> anyway, the uh, <laughs> surrender is the most important part. Because yeah. I know you guys can replicate the first four S's, okay? And then it just becomes a thing like, get out of your head, get out of your head, get out of your head, plug in the guitar chord. I think you can learn how to do that yourself, okay? But then you got to surrender. You just don't sit out there, okay? So um, what I decided to do is I said, look, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to block on my calendar because Satan doesn't want me to go out there the third Friday of every month, and I'm going to have my you know, company schedule my appointments so around monthly. That. You yeah. do monthly. Okay. And have, um, again, my desire is to do it every minute of every day of my life. So uh, even at once a month, I feel like I'm being a bozo. Okay. <laughs> but, um, and truth is, is I only make about six to eight of them a year. Okay. Because Satan blows up the other ones. Okay. Um, so, you know, the Colorado Trail is a blessing in that I made all that, the, the world go away because I was out there on the Colorado Trail, right? Yeah. So it's harder than it is on the trail because you're sitting here in the middle of the world, your wife and your kids and your business and your TV set and your iPhone are just constantly distracting you and Satan's working through, uh, especially, you know, some of the media things and the stuff in your head and the junk in your head to, to give you every reason not to go. That's why the first step is the most the hardest part, okay? Yeah. So the first step for your silent retreat is going to be the hardest part. It's just a fact. So I'm giving you guys the good stuff. What I do then is I, I climb up a really steep hill mm -hmm. so that my heart's pounding in, in my temples. <laughs> yeah. And I told Jeremy I don't really need to fast because to me that's fasting. I don't eat that day. I don't you know eat a big breakfast before I go out or that. I usually cut out around dinner time the night before. I try to pray in the Holy Spirit that evening just to kind of get the juices flowing. And then I try to get out the door before I talk to my wife or dog or anybody and just kind of keep what little buzz I have. And then going up the side of a hill puts my body into a wasted state, you know, almost pushing myself to like, you know, 160 heart rate kind of mm -hmm. thing. Yeah. Maybe 180 even. And then um, what will happen is I'll bring up, um, you know, like this is one of my books that I write notes in from my silent retreats, okay? It's a pretty big one. Sometimes I'll bring just little pieces of paper and go really light. 
um, carry a pad, and I usually bring a hat and gloves just in case it's cool or yeah. something, or the rain or the sure. wind kicks up. No tents or anything, but um, and then I'll just kind of look around and try to pay attention to where the spirit wants me to sit down. So I, I literally, um, if you've ever read that scripture, when Abraham sent his servant out to get a um, to find a wife for Isaac. Okay. You remember that scripture? I don't okay. know. Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. It's a really fun scripture. It's one of my favorite. But um, this, this servant is so scared <laughs> of the task that he's been given by Abraham, <laughs> okay, that he won't literally even step out of the tent till God tells him which foot to lead with. <laughs> and he keeps doing this till he ends up. It's really funny when you read it. Go read it tonight. But he ends up at a well, and that's where he meets Rebecca, Okay, and then she invites him into the house, and two hours later, somehow her father's agreed to let her go <laughs> with this guy, this stranger. Different times, going. different times. Well, it wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit. Yeah. That's exactly what I was talking about in Luke 10, as God was already preordaining this thing. Yeah. And then I'll give you another hint, but at the end of, of that story, um, Isaac's standing in his tent, and he said he saw Rebecca's silhouette and he fell on the ground weeping just seeing her silhouette before he even knew her name or saw her face. Hmm. And then the scripture says she took him in the tent and comforted him. I don't know what that means, but, <laughs> um, but the, that's what it says. <laughs> so the, uh, but the, the point is you see how God's out in front and the yes. Spirit's at work and it's doing miraculous things that don't make sense in the world. Okay, so that's what I'm trying to accomplish in my life. I'm a leader of organizations and whatnot. And when I started Cedrus, which God told me to do Cedrus on the Colorado Trail, in the end he told me, I want you to go serve the poor. And I said, oh, you know, we're, we're going to Africa or something. And he said, no, no, I'm going to give you access to the wealthiest guys in the United States. They're poor in spirit, and they've made money. They're, they think they... They know me, and some do, some don't, but he said they're confused, and I want you to, to minister to their souls, okay? And that's what I do now, okay? And that's why I started Seizures, another discussion. but Which we will have. Yeah, but what I know is I, I can promise you guys that I've never made a major decision at Seizures um, unless the Lord has ordained it and told me to do it in one of my silent retreats. Okay, right. mm -hmm. so I go up there, I waste myself, I spread out maybe stuff we've been reading and highlighting that kind of jumped out at you in scripture, and I just kind of take like a little half a nap, which I never do, I hate naps, um, but then I wake up, and I'm hearing those voices again, like I heard on the trail, and God's giving me clear direction, and what I do, this is very important, um, you, I can't illustrate enough for you guys that you don't want to be in here, you want to be in your heart here. Okay, yeah. as soon as you go to your head, it's over. Okay, guitar chord gets pulled out of the amp. Okay, so what happens is when I wake up and I'm hearing stuff, I I write it down in my journal. But I had to teach myself in the first year not to try to analyze what the writing was because as soon as I try to analyze it, what happens? In your head. I move to the head, and then the silent retreat's over. Okay, so again, I had to experiment with that, but now I'm really good at it, and I've taught myself don't don't even think about, it, don't even go there, and I just write, 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 and I have no idea what I'm writing. Okay, close my little notebook. Okay, as soon it stops, stops, and 
and then um, I spend my time walking out of the woods in a state of gratitude. That's really important. So I was thankful that God got me out there and, and, and fought off Satan, okay? I was thankful that he gave me the download and he loves me. And by the way, I forgot to say this, but when I'm in a silent retreat, when I'm at that point where I'm laying down, I try to envision me that God's sitting on a chair like a throne and that I crawl on my hands and knees up to him into his robe and pull myself into his lap and lay back in his lap and look him in the eyes and just rest there. That's the visual I try to do. So then coming down, I go to a state of gratitude. I, I'm usually crying um, and thanking that we had a good day together. Mm -hmm. um, sometimes I sing my favorite Christian songs or whatever as I'm you know, bopping down the hill. Sure. And then as soon as I get down there to the car or picnic table or something, I open up my notes and see what they say. Um, they're not in, in clear, plain English. Um, they're, they're in English words, but the sentences don't always make sense. Sure. So um, in the world, the way God gave it to me here, the first thing I do is I try to confirm what it says with Scripture because Satan you know, could be out there, right? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I have to get confirmation from Scripture of what those commands or words say, and if I can find confirmation in there, then the next thing I had to teach myself over a year or two is, and this is a big word, is to be obedient which is, yeah. it, it could say, sell all your belongings and buy an avocado farm. <laughs> and my wife now knows that's exactly what I'm going to do if that's what it said. Because I know his voice, I know it came from him, and there isn't a single other thing going on in my life that's more important than the command he gave me at that moment. Wow. Hmm. And you've done, you've had examples of things like this. Oh, yeah, when you're ready, we'll talk about Cedrus, because Cedrus is a miracle. Is a story about miracles of all that came from silent retreats that were commands from God that totally stood opposed to the way the world operates, where the Lord blessed it and we prevailed. Yeah, I want to have that. I want to have that discussion. But let me ask you this: so um, I've talked about silent retreats with people in the past, and I feel like I, I continually get pushback, um, like oh, not pushback that it's not good, but pushback that it's not for them because um, they're afraid. I already covered that, and, and I've done this a lot with bigger groups, too. Okay. And I've mentored one-on-one -on -one guys with you. Nobody will admit it because it sounds like you're being a puss or something, okay? <laughs> but if God, you know, you got two young kids there that you just got into a private school, and they're about to start, you know, baseball season, and God gives you a download to sell everything and move to an avocado farm in Mexico, how's, you're not going to have the balls to do it. Yeah. Now, how do you get over that, right? Um, and the only way you can get over that is to know his voice beyond the shadow of a doubt. And the only way to know his voice is to spend time with him. Right. Mm -hmm. Because it, if the creator of the universe gives you a command, what else is there? I said it before. There's nothing else in my life or my world that matters more than what the Lord says I'm supposed to do. Yeah. Jeremy, what has held you back in the past? Like you said, you tried your kind of one, one of your first silent retreats. What, what would have been, if you were honest with yourself, something that was holding you back from wanting to do that or executing it? You know, I don't know. I mean, it, since it's been on my heart, I don't know that I've been... He's wringing his hands. I don't I can know tell that, that I've been... Uh, <laughs> Come on, puke it out. Yeah. No, I don't know that I've been disobedient in it. I mean, it was never really a concept that was made, that, that even came to my mind until I read Ruthless Elimination in a Hurry, which is probably a year or two ago. Now, with that, I, I wasn't obedient immediately. 
um, because um, I let I let Satan get in my way too often with scheduling. It was like every time that I would come up with a plan, something else would happen. And, and maybe I was looking for excuses not to do it. As much as I said I wanted to do it, maybe I was not. I don't think mine – I'm not saying that – John, I'm not saying you're not 100% right because I think you are with most people. With me, I don't think it was fear because I've already been on this pursuit of intimacy with Jesus for quite some time. So the beginning of that pursuit was scary for me. But now that I'm on it, it's like it, it, it's, what I, it's all I want, you know. So mm-hmm. it wasn't that as much as uh, probably – finding it important enough to prioritize to prioritize it, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And even, mm-hmm. and I'll say this, the one that I've done, um, now, I was going to stay the night, and as John says, I mean, they can all look different. It doesn't look just like his. Um, I was going to stay the night because that's just what I wanted to do and wake up the next morning and spend more time with mm-hmm. him. Um, it didn't work out because it would have been safe. <laughs> but <laughs> even that, I feel like that I got – I got a download from the Lord and I'll, 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 I'll tell you guys what it is. Um, so I went there, I had everything planned, right? I, and by the way, I love in the podcast before you talked about, uh, planning is your way of overcoming fear. <laughs> and so I had everything planned in the sense of like, I had uh, like firewood cut at my tent. I mean, I had a list of things, everything was checked off. I was ready to go because I didn't want to be distracted up there. I wanted to like, when I got there, I didn't want to be like worried about things. I wanted to be able to focus on the Lord. And I set everything up, got my fire ready because it was early spring. It was still a little cool here. And I went to light it. I had no lighter. I had no way of lighting it. And so I'm like an hour from town. So I'm like, okay, it's still early in the day. It's like 9 or 10 in the morning. I can either sit here all day with no fire and stay the night at that time, I thought, and no fire in the morning, or I can run into town. You didn't ask God to light it? <laughs> I should have. <laughs> he could have <laughs> brought fire down from heaven. Last I saw, he can do whatever the <laughs> yeah, hell he you're wants. Right, so you're right. You kind of missed an opportunity. Maybe my yeah. faith isn't strong enough. <laughs> so I ran Must to the <laughs> yeah, I ran to the local, uh, the, the closest store I could find, and grabbed the lighter and came back. And I felt like what, and, and I think this was all part of it. I really do. Uh, I think that, like the fact that I forgot it is actually was part of it. Yeah. Was the, it was the lesson. And the lesson was, and I can't almost say it without getting choked up because it's so true in my life, is he said, you forgot the fire, right? And that just like, that went through my head maybe a hundred times. Like I could not get out of my head the whole day. Mm-hmm. You forgot the fire. At first I was like, you're an idiot. You forgot the fire. You're an idiot. You forgot, you forgot the fire. And then mm-hmm. the Holy Spirit was like, no, no, no. In your life... And especially in the context of ordinary movement, because I was praying a lot about ordinary movement at that time. He's like, you can do all the planning you want. This is what I got from it. You can do all the planning you want in the world. You can have the best systems. You can have the best processes. You can hire the best people. But if you don't bring the fire, and what is the fire in the Bible? The Holy Spirit, right? Mm -hmm. If you don't bring the Holy Spirit into that environment, if you don't bring the fire then you're forgetting the thing that matters. Like every, you can plan everything, but you forgot the fire. So don't go at this without the fire. That's, that's what I got from that time. So like how valuable is, was that day for me? I, I would say it's extremely valuable. I, I heard from the Lord in a very unique and weird way. I will say it's, it's a unique way. It's a weird way, but there's no doubt. Like the fact that I could not get that out of my head, I, I don't beat myself up over like forgetting something big deal. I run to the store and get it. 
But that day, mm-hmm. like all that came through my head is you forgot the fire. You forgot the fire. Don't forget the fire. Don't forget the fire. And so I, now, I can't wait to do is, the next one. Yeah, the other thing you need to do is you're saying, I can't get out of my head, can't get out of my head. God speaks to you in your heart. And so this is the problem, the 18 inches, right? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, so it's the longest distance any man travels, the right. 18 inches from his head to his heart. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, all this stuff fits if you really, really experience it and go through it. But understand that God, God was speaking, you know, like I said, you went and got the thing, you had fire, you know, great, you know, yeah. mission accomplished on my checklist. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But God had a bigger thing to talk to you about. And trust me, he spoke it to you in here. Oh, he did. And yeah. then, and then immediately mm-hmm. you were trying to bring it up here and he was mm-hmm. probably saying, no, yeah. keep it down here. Okay. Yeah, yeah. But, um, I'm just sharing with you. Look, I did all that too. I kept screwing around with my head and trying to match it up with my heart and everything. A lot of it happened on the trail, and, and it took me a while to, you know. I mean, I've been doing these silent retreats for 15 years now, so, yeah. okay. And then even on a more advanced phase, um, I've gone out on silent retreats where um, I didn't have a good retreat. The Holy Spirit never showed up. And then you were talking about, you know, oh, I still had a good trip. I mean, if I go up there... And two hours into it, the Holy Spirit pings up, and I get a page full of notes, and then all of a sudden the guitar amp shuts off. I'm coming down. It's over. Yeah. Okay? So I I don't think you have to be so rigid that it's a certain time or anything. The goal of the trip is to get intimacy with him, to do whatever you have to do to get the Holy Fire button clicked, okay? And then to not use your headspace to take down the information Give him gratitude for that. We all know about doing that. And then um, sit there and say, okay, now what am I going to do with this stuff? Okay. And we can talk more about that. But like I said, for me, the big part of what to do with this stuff once you get it is to be obedient. Say, look, this came from the Lord. This didn't come from my math teacher. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, what am I going to do with this? Okay. Why did he give it to me? I mean, I need to go out and swing my sword with this. Yeah. And then what happens is, he blesses it, okay, and what you perceive to be miracles in your life start happening, but all he's doing is, you know, blessing you running the game plan that he gave to you, and and then when you experience the blessing, you know what happens then, it, it raises your faith a couple more liars on the bar, so you start to do this thing for, you know, three, five, ten, fifteen years of doing the retreats, getting the download, being obedient against it and then experiencing the awesome blessing. And when you're brought to tears, you're just like, man, this, you know, this is all that matters. Aaron, would you, have you ever done one? Would you do one? I have not done one. Um, since this year, I guess last maybe year and some change, it's kind of come up like, you know, through, through some of the guests we've had on the podcast. Um, we had, you know, Bob Sorge talk about, his fast and his going away to a cabin and um, sort of reminded of like how, you know, with, with your journey, John talking about how further into the trip is when it really sort of got deeper and deeper into where the Lord was opening up and, and able to communicate to you directly and, and revealed more. And so I have felt challenged to do it. Um, I think what's what's holding me back from just putting it on the calendar is not fear of what the Lord would say, but more so just being obedient to like listen to these promptings that are happening like right now during this podcast and 
go just go spend the time right we spend mm-hmm. i spend the time in the in the quiet place regularly speaking with the lord but this is something different and it's not in my character um i hate being alone i think it's probably my biggest like thing is like i want there to be stuff going on. i want people to be be around and so solitude is like the hardest s of that uh four s's for me is the solitude piece it's like no, I don't want to go be alone and like by myself. And so, but I think from what I'm gathering from everybody, it's like, that's where the Lord will meet you in a really sweet way. And Jesus modeled it too. That's what's really been on my heart. This is like, Jesus went went away alone to pray. Like he went off by himself all of the time to get that download, to be in uh, touch with the father so yeah we're supposed to be in it. his image and it's yeah. right there and and let me tell you something fascinating but um <clears throat> the lord told me about i don't know 10 years ago to move from being a leader to a mentor you know so i had to be obedient to that and i started uh relinquishing some of my leadership uh, responsibilities um but as soon as i started surrendering and letting go of the things that i thought you know were my identity um, people started showing up and saying, people I'd never met before saying, hey, I heard about you, John Scott, I want you to be my mentor. I'm like, sure. Well, three of them are pastors of churches. <laughs> and when the first one showed up, I said, well, I've never been to seminary. I don't know what to do. And they go, no, no, I'm supposed to be with you and whatever. And when I sat with them and started breaking down their classical education from seminary and whatnot, um, I was shocked to hear that seminaries don't teach pastors. I haven't found one yet to do silent retreats. I think Catholicism does, but not. You do, but not, okay. I, I, I'm pretty certain, but but not the. Um, I mean, they, they, I, they have them do sabbaticals, yeah, which take two or three months off. But again, they're doing it with their family and yeah. their kids. It's not solitude. Hanging out with mm-hmm. your wife is not solitude. Yeah, you're right. Okay, and uh, and. You know, because I'd ask them, i go, where are you getting your downloads of what to do with the church? And they're looking at me like, you know. And so for whatever reasons, even cemeteries aren't really, uh, not some seminaries. Did I say cemeteries? Well, cemeteries. I hear. I hear they can Uh, go hand in hand sometimes. uh, But but (laughs) I don't know. I'm I'm just sort of a little bit shocked and... No, I agree. You know, I don't really care if I ever go to a seminary, but I, I, you know, I can quote most scripture of the Bible because yeah. I made it a point to learn the Bible. But I, I, I don't know why when everything's right there in the book, like he said that Jesus does this, why um, we're being deceived not to do it. Yeah, it's interesting how how Satan will not. I mean, obviously we know he's a liar, right? The chief of liars, mm-hmm. but. Like he 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 legitimately makes me like the thought of doing another one. I just gotta say the emotion that comes to mind when I think of doing another one is I'm not being productive, which I know is an absolute lie. It's the most productive thing I can do in my faith in my in my life. It will it will it will help guide my next steps. Um, and even if like you were saying before, uh, even if I don't get a download from the Lord during a time of silent retreat, I still spent time with with still Abba charge Father. the battery. That's right. Yeah. Like, yeah. there's there's nothing more productive. But there's something in me, even though I know it, I have all the head knowledge I need, right, to know that, uh, to get it to here. I still have this feeling that 
I'm, how could you go away for a day? That's not me production. I think that's a lot of men um, probably have that issue. Guys I talk to about it are like, I don't know if I could take a day off. Mm-hmm. Well, they can all take a day off to golf, and I'm not – I take days off to hunt. <laughs> I don't have a – I'm not worried about taking a day off to hunt. I'm not worried about taking a day off to fish, but for some reason taking a day off to spend with the Lord doesn't feel productive. Yeah, I mean, how silly can take a that? day off to have cancer. Yeah, well, there's, there's the next – we're, we're just going to have to – yeah, go ahead. Go but ahead. My, look, her, her, I had an aha moment when I was leading Cedrus and farming this weird kingdom company that was doing the opposite of what everybody else in Wall Street was doing. And then I had a revelation that um, who is I, John Scott, no matter how classically educated I was or street savvy I was, to be responsible for 30 employees, their livelihood, making major decisions with people bringing me farms to sign every day, compliance, hiring, firing, uh, God bringing me people, should they work at our company or am I holding them back from what God's doing? I felt this pressure as a leader. I finally got to the point where um, I am just lying to myself and I'm lying to my creator if I'm making decisions without letting him be a part of those decisions. Mm. And the best place I could get um, specific marching orders from him was doing these silent retreats. So I had gotten to the point where, you know, basically when you're talking about golf or hunting or whatever, it's prioritization, right? What's yeah, your priority? That's right. And I had just finally reached this point where I am now where um, it's my number one priority. I told you Lori struggled when I got off the trail, especially with this kingdom stuff. Um, but what she saw was a change in me. And, and and it was subliminal. Nothing was said. But she could tell I was becoming a better man. And various aspects of my life were falling into place of where they need to be with my my emotions, my reactions, my the way I presented myself to her and in the crowd because now I was walking the kingdom walk. And she liked what she saw. So she, I guess, kind of capitulated to it. And then eventually God did it did his own thing with her because she wasn't going to listen to me. And, and you know, lots of really cool stuff's happened to me in my marriage as well. But the kingdom game, when you get in, it, is the best game in the world. There's no question about it. No doubt. Mm-hmm. Well, Aaron, do you have any final questions on silent retreats? Any Anything you want to kind of dig in? Yeah, I don't, I don't have any other questions other than just I need to start planning mine, figuring out where I'm going to go. Yeah. I will consult you about what I put in my pack. I'll tell you that. Don't bring a pack. Well, your salary treat. No pack. Okay, that's gonna be super light travel. Yeah, but you bring a little thing for your journal and a bottle of water and maybe a pad to sit on and gloves and the hat, and that's about it. That's yeah. it. That's it. Yeah. Got it. Well, great. Well, there's a whole lot more to talk about here. We're gonna have John on again. I want to hear about Cedrus about how these downloads from silent retreats have really shaped his business. Um, there's, there's also a bout with cancer uh, in this and, and how this, um, the silent retreats that he, he learned from his time at the Colorado Trail really helped him through um, that season of life. So uh, we've had him on. He's given us almost two hours of his time. I'm not going to take any more of his time today, but it has been an unbelievable uh, opportunity to speak with you, John. I, yeah. I love your you heart. Uh, I love you, man. I appreciate uh, what you bring to the kingdom and your personality. And... Um, Guys, I, I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and you're inspired by, by John's story. And um, 
if you if you have thoughts of doing a silent retreat, leave a comment below. Let's let's start a little dialogue conversation about about what what our next plans are. Let's challenge each other on that. Yeah. And uh, Aaron, maybe what we'll do is you and I will have a silent retreat each di- separate because that's be solitude. Oh man, yeah, separate, like separate. And uh, we'll come retreat. back and talk about it on the podcast. That would be pretty fascinating, I think. I like that idea. Yeah, that would be because then it's like we're together, but we're not. So that's right. Yeah. Maybe it feels better. Yeah, the four <laughs> S's. Just don't forget the four S's. Yep. So, John, thanks yeah. again so much, and uh, look you. forward to our future podcast. And uh, Aaron, what do you got? Anything? Until next time, I put, you on, the spot. I put <laughs> you on the spot. Thank you. Until Aaron. next time, let's do this. Let's do this. All right, see you guys. All right, take care.